So this morning, uh, let's see. Let's exercise a couple of things here. Not calisthenics. Don't worry, Bob. We're okay. Right? You stay seated. I want to ask you a few questions to kind of get your mind going. All right? First one is, how big is your God? You know, we sang the song, How Great Is Our God. We sing it all the time, and we say he's great. He's higher than the heavens. He's all this, all the powerful. But how, how big is your God? Okay? The second question I'm going to ask is, how big is your faith? Think about that. Do we think of faith in size? Well, we should. How big is your faith? Let me tell you a funny little story about faith. Uh, uh, there was this uh, nun, Sister Mary Evangeline, was in her car, and she was on her way in a hurry at the local Catholic charity hospital, and her car ran out of gas. Fortunately, she was only about a block and a half away from a filling station. That's a convenience store or gas station to you younger people. She was that close, and she got out of her car, and she quickly walked over there. She told the attendant, I ran out of gas. Can I please get a gas can? I just, you know, a gallon of gas, and then I'll bring my car back, and I'll fill it up. And he was like, you know what? I would, but I gave away just a little bit ago the only gas can I have. It's out on loan. She said, that's okay. I'm going to go back to my car and see if there's anything in my car that I could find that I could fill up, and I'll bring it back, and I'll get some gas. So she leaves. She goes back to her car, and, of course, she's on the way to the hospital. The only thing she found in her car was a bedpan, okay? And she's like, hmm, I think this, this could hold a little bit of gas, probably enough to get me to the station. So she takes the bedpan back to the gas station. She, they, they fill it up, and they're like, this is weird, but okay, whatever you need to do. We'll see you in a little bit. She goes back to her car, and just as she's trying to pour that gasoline into the, into the, the tank, these two men walk by, and another one looks at him, and he says, man, now that is what I call faith. <laughs> right? How big is your faith? Is it as big as Sister Mary Evangeline's faith? I'm telling you now. So how big is our God? How big is our faith? And here's another question for you to ponder while we're talking today. How big is the biggest prayer you have ever prayed? How big is the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? You see, how big our God is depends on how much we allow Him to be God. We're the ones who limit him. He's unlimited in his resources and in his power. But I think there's a couple of reasons why we might struggle with asking God for the above and the beyond that he promises in his word that he will do above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. He's ready and willing to do that. However, the limitation, again, it's on us, right? So the first one I think is this. We often put God in a box, and then we try to live our lives within that box of God, right? I mean, he's so much bigger than that. There's an author by the name of J.B. Phillips, and he wrote a classic book titled, Your God is Too Small. And the idea behind the book, it's really simple. We've created an image of God in our minds, and that image is just simply not adequate. doesn't do him justice. It's not big enough. Some see God as being like our parents, right, for instruction and discipline. Some of us were even told as we were growing up, God is like your father. And that image works a lot better for those of us who had a good, solid, loving relationship with our earthly father, but not so much with those who struggled in that area. And some choose to put labels on God to say he's this or he's that, or he can do this, but he can't do that. And in a sense, they put God in that box of sorts that they have confined him and limited his ability. A second reason, I believe, that we don't get to see God move in those bigger-than-life kind of ways is we're told to hang in there, 
right? Never give up. Keep going at all costs. Just trust and believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. Be that self-made man or woman that you were created to be. You don't need anybody else's help. You can do this. You've got this. Then life gets hard. Complications set in. And we get worn out because we're not seeing the kind of results we expected and we're only living up to probably about this much of our potential. And truth be told, many people stop way short of what God wants for their lives, never reaching their goals most of the time. So why? Because they give up and they quit because they didn't get what they wanted or what they expected. In the face of obstacles, they didn't look long range enough now ahead. And we're wanting that immediate gratification, aren't we? We want it now. And when we want it now and we can't achieve it and we've tried a few things, we move on to something else because we're leaving a trail of unfinished endeavors and disappointed people in our path. Kind of like when a tornado blows through an area. It just tears things up. You can see the trail, but there's nothing really good that came out of that. So I don't think a lot of people realize that their dream was so close. A dream that God gave them. That they just never saw it to completion. So our text this morning is about a God-sized accomplishment fulfilled by a human being who was listening to God, talking with God, and God hearing his prayer. Because that's really what prayer is. It's talking with God. You see, we're talking about this morning Joshua. And we've covered a few angles of this story before, but this one's going in a little different direction. Joshua's accomplishments didn't come to him because of whose son he was, Joshua, son of Nun, his family's achievements, or his status in life. It came to him for believing God, taking him at his word, and hearing God's voice, and actively responding to the challenge that God had set before him. Let's set this up. As a young man, Joshua, he grew up and he saw firsthand as Israel was delivered from Egypt. Didn't get it secondhand news, didn't read about it in the history books. He went through it. And as a young man, he would have worked as a slave in Egypt, but there was something that was unique about him. And God spoke to Moses through the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Joshua had already learned the importance of obedience. So why did I bring up Moses right there? Because Joshua became the right-hand man of Moses. So it's not surprising that before Moses died, we know he appointed Joshua as his successor. In fact, Joshua was one of the 12 spies, one of 12 men who traveled into the Canaan, uh, Canaan land, promised land, to check things out. And Joshua and Caleb, they returned with a good report. But the other 10, they said, nope, the people are too big, the area is too large, we're like grasshoppers in this place. Now, I didn't mention, though, that the word does that the, of the 12, Joshua and Caleb were the only two who survived. A plague fell on the other 10, and they all died because they brought back that negative report. Why? Because they didn't believe God. But Joshua, he plowed ahead, even though all the Israelites were not completely on board. All their arguing, the fear that they had, it kept them wandering in the desert for 40 years. Some have said that it had been about an 11-mile journey, and instead it took them 40 years. So get this, anybody over 20 years old never saw the promised land of God. Only Joshua and Caleb were spared. And because he took Moses' leadership spot, he had a long task ahead of him. But isn't it funny how those that saw God provide a miracle in the escape from the Egyptians and the great crossing of the Red Sea, a whole generation died off before another generation rose and saw his promises come to pass. 
in our own church history, in the church of the Nazarene, the first generation Nazarenes, they saw the signs and wonders, the miracles, the power of God. They saw and they believed. In the second generation, they passed that information. They'd heard about it. The third generation came along. Well, they kind of remembered it. And by this fourth and fifth generation, we wonder, where is that power? Where is the Spirit of the Lord moving in that way? They didn't remember that God was big enough to take them to the promised land. But Joshua did. And in our passage today, we're going to find the secret to Joshua's strength. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's going to be in Joshua, in the Old Testament, chapter 10. We're just going to look at a few verses here in succession and tell this story, kind of set things up a little bit. Joshua, chapter 10, starting in verse 6, is where we're at. Joshua is one of those uh, people that, man, when you understand what he'd been through and what God took him through, we're going to find out that it's because he really just put all of his trust in God. People say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, if your basket's God, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm putting all my eggs. How about you, Lanny? Yeah. Joshua chapter 10, starting at verse 6. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. They said, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. How would you like to have a guarantee like that from God? Well, he's given it to us, so hang on. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. In verse 10, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Haran, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Haran to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. And on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon. And if you're not following along, that's S-U-N in the sky. And you, moon, over the valley of Ajan. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And there's never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua, verse 15, returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Man, what a powerful little portion of Scripture right there. It gives us a picture of a God who gives us what we need when we need it. It's an example that God listens. It proves that God is still in the miracle business. I mean, think about a hailstone that could kill a person. Understand that the same miracle working God we read about in the Old Testament is the same God who's alive and well and that we serve today. Amen? You see, Moses forgot about what people, forgot about what God had done, and the people did too. And they forgot the miracle that God had done for them when he brought them out of Egypt. Joshua dared to believe God at his word, and he took a stand. 
You see, I believe it's also telling us this, that every generation needs their own awakening of God and to experience it firsthand, not secondhand, not thirdhand, not reading the history books. God is fresh and new every day, and He's able to reach a new generation in a new and fresh way. Amen? I love that Dr. Powell announced that our next district assembly is going to be called Generation Next, thinking about those that are coming up behind us and how they need that fresh and new experience with Him as well. So there's three things this passage can teach us about prayer, because that's really what we're talking about today. You see, there's a time for all of us when we should stand up and pray a God-sized prayer. What is it that holds us back from praying that God-sized prayer? God, I believe that this whole one-mile radius around this here location could be saved and brought to you to glorify you, to honor you. And someone says, whole mile, you know how many people are in that mile? You got naysayers. You think you're going to pray and all these people are just going to come to God and they're going to understand? Well, yeah, I do believe that he could do that, but I think he wants us to be a part of it too. We'll get to that in just a minute. But see, we've always got somebody or something that's saying, Psh, remember the last time you tried to pray a big old prayer like this and it didn't get answered? What are you, what are you wasting your breath for praying, buddy? That's, that's, that's really what happens to us. We get discouraged. We can't listen to those negative voices, whether it's spiritual or human, because it tells you where their faith is. Their faith is not in God. Their faith is in something else. The second thing I think it teaches us is it helps us to learn to hold on to God's promises. He's made promises. He is the promise keeper. We sang about today, right? Waymaker, he's a promise keeper. He has never let us down, and He never will. The third thing I think it teaches us is it teaches us to walk with hope and stand in faith. Walk with hope and stand in faith. Ephesians tells us, and after you've done everything, stand against the enemy, right? So we learn to walk with hope and to stand in faith. You know, the word hope in the New Testament is the, the, this Greek word called elpis, and it simply means to, to confidently expect something to take place. It's like, it's like faith, but it's that hope part. You're, you're, just, you're confidently expecting it. When I read a text like this in Joshua chapter 10, here's what it, I, it makes me think. First of, all, first of all, anytime you read in God's Word and you're doing it intentionally, do this. What is God trying to tell me in this Scripture? What is He trying to tell me? Am I reading this for information or am I reading it for transformation? Right? Will it be something that transforms my life or is it just informing me about what He did way back when with the Israelites that He's still in the business of doing today? Okay? And the second thing, what does God want me to do with what He has shown me here? That's the transformation part. The information is what is He trying to tell me? And the transformation part is what does He want me to do with it now that I know this? So if we're looking at the text, Joshua and the army of Israel, they're mowing down nations, they're conquering cities, they've got this wide streak going. And Joshua gets word that five kings are getting together with all of their resources and they're coming together after Israel. And Gibeon is being attacked and they ask for Joshua's help. Now Gibeon, they also had a motive, and that's another message for another time. But Joshua and his army, they turn around, they march 20 miles in the dark of night and surprise them. Surprise, we're here. You didn't think we'd come tonight, did you? 
after he decides to help, God tells him this in verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. That's, that's future tense, isn't it? Past and future. I've already given, I've already taken care of it. Not one of them shall stand against you. So what do we see here? First of all, this was a command from God. It wasn't, Joshua, why don't you take this before your board of directors, and you guys talk about it for a little while, and if you get enough yays or too many nays, then you can decide whether or not you want to follow me into this battle. See, that's how man tries to do things. I mean, we call a meeting to see when the next meeting's going to be. Right? This was a command. And though Joshua had reason to fear because Israel, I mean, Israel was facing a confederation of five kings all coming together. Think of all the resources that five kings from different kingdoms could have coming up against Israel. God commanded Joshua to not fear his enemies. Now this command was joined to a promise. It wasn't just a command. You see, when God gives us one part, he said, but wait, there's more, Right? Joshua could obey God's command to not fear because he had God's promise of victory. Fear, it takes away our ability to see clearly, to trust God in the battle. We don't need that. Even in the face of strong enemies, Joshua was commanded to not fear. Don't even consider it an option, Joshua. I've taken care of everything. And if you believe it and you trust me, let's go. Let's roll. And that's how it is with us today. You see, sometimes fear, that unbelief creeps in, and then we begin unwilling to believe what God promised. You know, Jesus faced that in the wilderness. Didn't Satan, the tempter, say to him? He says, well, did God really say same thing that he did to Adam and Eve in the garden? If you really are the Son of God, where's that doubt, that unbelief? So we're going to take note of a few of the ways that God accomplishes his plans and his purposes he needs our help first thing is god uses people let me rephrase that he doesn't need our help he wants our help he uses people he uses the old generation he uses the new generation the younger generation he uses in verse 7 all the people of war and valiant warriors he uses people here's who he uses he uses people who dare to trust him he uses people that are sensitive to hearing His voice and are eager to respond. He uses people that don't drag their feet and wait for the enemy to attack, but they attack for the cause of Christ with all the tools of the arsenal of God. All the whiners and the complainers, they can stay back in the camp. But the ones who are sensitive to all of these things and are eager and willing to serve, it's move out time. So the soldiers, they packed up their stuff. They followed Joshua in the dark to a place they were unsure of because they knew that Joshua had heard from God. They said, okay, Joshua, we trust you. You've heard from God. And though they could not see the light, they had his blessing. Even when I can't see it or even when I can't feel it, I still know you're working. Right? You see, but this takes hard work sometimes and focus and initiative. And on Joshua's part, it was a big task. The march from Gilgal to Gibeon involved a climb of about 3,300 feet in altitude over a distance of about 20 miles. Marching 8 to 10 hours of hard marching all through the night, not knowing for sure where they're going. I mean, how many of you struggle with the first mile saying, man, how, are we there yet? We become like little kids, don't we? 
But God does His work. He draws us into working with Him. You see, often God waits to see our initiative, our willingness to be a partner with Him before He does what only He can do. Now, this isn't like that idea, that old phrase that people often confuse as Scripture, saying God helps those who help themselves. That's found in the second book of Hezekiah in the Middle Testament. It's a joke. Okay? The idea is God wants to draw His people into partnership with Him in seeing His work accomplished. So when you're praying for a miracle, we can't expect God to do it all. I mean, we may have to fight for some of this. We may have to give up a weekend here and there or part of a day so we can go walk the neighborhoods and meet people and share Jesus with them and just let them know that we're here for them. We may have to spend some money. We may have to get out of our comfort zone to get out into our kingdom zone. We may be inconvenienced sometimes. It might be colder than we'd like for it to be or hotter than, you know. We may have to listen to somebody from a younger generation. We may have to try some new things. And I know you all aren't afraid of that. But today we can learn a lesson from Joshua and his army. It's like he's saying, I don't know what the future holds, but what did Bill Gaither write? But I know who holds the future. I know who holds tomorrow, right? And I know that if you do the same old thing, the same old way, there won't be any change. I also know that God is big enough to do things in fresh and creative ways that doesn't take away from the last generation and how they did things because, you know, every generation thought they had it figured out. Their music was better than our music, you know, that kind of a thing. And I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about, you know, how many grew up listening to Elvis? And Elvis was like, well, I can't believe you're listening to that, son. What is that stuff? Every generation has that. You know, you got your Beatles, you got your Rolling Stones, you got the different groups of musical influence that infected the culture. <laughs> it's like that in the church. You see, we used to do it this way is the language, and God would show up in a mighty and powerful way. Well, that's putting God in a box, because maybe He's not ready to do that today. But I know that God raises people up every day for tasks that are too big for themselves, but not too big for them plus one, and the plus one is God. Or let's do plus three so we get the math right. Think about this. Okay? Think about this from our own perspective. River City Hope Church. This church in a strip mall nestled between an Asian market and a Mexican restaurant and supermarket. <laughs> it's going to do great things for God because He's promised us, one, He'll never leave us or forsake us. He'll provide for our every need, which we've seen Him do as we follow His lead to reach the people in our one-mile radius, that kingdom zone, and eventually win a city for His glory and His purposes. See, we're not doing it for ours. We're not saying we got 150 chairs, we need to put some good use to them. It's not about that at all. But He's told us already not to fear the enemy, whatever the enemy is, whether the fear is, well, I don't know what to say to people if they answer the door. Or I, what if somebody asks me, uh, I'd like to receive Jesus. How do I lead them? What do I do? You know what? You're not alone, and we will all go through this together. But God has already promised. He's already given us the answers. He's already given the provision. So remember this, that God uses people, young, old, whatever. He's going to use us all because we're willing and because we trust Him and we believe Him. 
I want to point out something that, that I noticed in verse 10 here. In, in a lot of versions, and the, the NIV that I read this morning, it says, The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Just if you read just that verse there, it says that the Lord confused them, and the Israelites went out and slaughtered them. But in the New King James Version, beginning in verse 8, we read this. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And here's verse 10. So the Lord routed them, the enemy, before Israel. He wasn't just leading Joshua and the Israelites. He was leading the enemy right in front of Israel. And he killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. It doesn't say Israel did it. It says that God did it because God routed them in there and then he took care of them. He chased them along the road that goes to Betharon and struck them down as far as Ezekiah and Makeda. But we see something almost identical. I love when, when stories parallel and line up. I was reading that and I was like, that sounds familiar. I think God has done this before. It's like when you're watching a TV show and you're like, they've used this storyline way too many times. But I love this storyline because what it does is it shows us something interesting. In Judges, just right, here, just right next to Joshua in your Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 14 says this, Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And get this, verse 15, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Is that a God who keeps his promises? You see, he, he did it in both of those situations. But here's what's interesting. God's work and the partnership through the obedience of his people, working with the Lord, accomplished something great. The plans and the purposes of God were achieved. Let me say that again. In both of those situations, God's work was accomplished. How? Through the partnership, through obedience of His people, working with the Lord, they accomplished something great. How much more do you think the Lord wants to use us, working in partnership with Him, to see this one-mile radius, this kingdom zone, spread into a two-mile radius, into a five-mile radius, into a ten-mile radius? I guess it probably could go up to, what, 40 or 50 miles at least, and we'd still be having more people. God can do that. So let me ask you again, what's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? Are we limited to, God, would you lead us to some people in the apartment complex across the street? Or maybe somebody over here that's asking for money at the Circle K? Or would we say, the airport, that's in our one-mile radius. Melissa loves the airport being in our radius because she says that everybody that lands, sets foot, or does a layover, or leaves from that airport is fair game. And guess what? Some of those people don't live here. They're going back to where they lived. And they're taking that back with them. Can God do that? Could this be like a launching pad for whatever God wants to do elsewhere? Of course it could. How big is the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? They call that audacious prayers, right? There's a, think about it. 
We've just started to see that we have a one-mile radius because I think that's what we felt like we could bite off and chew in our own minds to say, I can see that on a map. When we talk about a whole city, it's a little bit different because we don't know where the borders and outlying areas of those are, but God does. The second thing we see in this text is that God still does miracles. As they fled before Israel on the road, He rained down large hailstones on them. This version says He hurled large. Could you see God like, got another one, got another one. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. I don't think it was a fun game for God. I don't mean to, you know, trivialize it. But He had His intentions It said that more were dead from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites in battle down there. Think about this. We don't want to be on the wrong side of God. That's one thing I got out of this. Because the hailstones that killed the retreating armies of the Canaanites, they were already on their way out. They were being run out. So they're like running for their lives and instead suffered without being able to continue, right? The Canaanites, they were obviously miraculous in this sense because the hail itself, they were thinking, some have said, that it could have been a phenomenon of nature. You see, somebody wrote it in a book somewhere and said, well, it was just a freak of nature storm that came. But think about it. Its aim and timing were evidence of the hand of God. Here's another interesting side note. The Canaanites who worshipped nature deities must have thought that their own gods were ganging up against them with the Israelites. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. God's miraculous work was much greater than Israel's work, but yet we notice that Joshua didn't wait around for the hail to come. He was already in the midst of the battle. You see, he did what he could do in partnership with God, and God did what only God could do. God killed more. That should keep us humble. He could take more out than we could with the sword. And his aim is so good that none of the Israelites were killed fighting with these ice balls flying. It was just the Canaanites. And on the day he saw God do this, Joshua asked God to let him finish the task. He's saying, hold on, I got this courage here and I got a, I got a request and I got to see this. Seeing God's miraculous hand in action gave Joshua the boldness to ask for an even more remarkable miracle. To keep the day going, to keep the sun from setting so that Israel had time to accomplish a complete victory before nighttime. It's obvious here that God does miracles, right? It's also obvious He doesn't need our help, but He chooses to use His people to accomplish His plans in partnership with His purposes. And Joshua didn't ask God to do the fighting for him. God, in your mercy, would you just wipe out all of our enemies? We've read about it elsewhere. We've heard about it. We know you can do it. Would you just take care of them so we don't have to? Even though God did some of that for them. Joshua was simply asking that God miraculously give him the opportunity to fight for God. We do well to imitate Joshua's reasons for an extended time. I mean, Joshua wanted time to stay still so that God would be glorified, so that God would be obeyed, and God's work would be continued without hindrance, and that God's people would triumph. So back to the beginning of the message today. How big is your God? How big is your faith? And how big is the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? You know, in the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas, we've all seen it probably. Jimmy Stewart, he says to his bride-to-be, 
what, what is it you want, Mary? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. I'll give you the moon. I mean, that's a big request. But it's exactly what Joshua asked God for. Oh, son, stand still. Moon, stand still. And they did. Joshua asked for the moon. He reached for the sky and God said, I'll do it. He was expecting God to do what he alone was not able to do in his own strength. And he was not going to let his limitations stop him from asking his God, who he knew could do it. God gives us other examples from his word. Daniel in the lion's den. God closed the mouth of the hungry lions. Jabez prayed that God would enlarge his territory, and God said yes. David prayed he could bring down the Philistine giant, and with a stone and a slingshot, in partnership with God. We have a dream that God has given to us to win a city for the kingdom of God. And we look forward to the day that it will come to pass with eager anticipation and not without great work on our part. But he said it, so we believe it. We'll probably be known as that little church that everybody says, that little church, they just believed that God could do something like that and all they did was just continue to trust Him. Well, if that's what they say, then glory to God. When God makes a promise, He keeps it. God's going to keep His promises. And you know what? He will keep His anointing on those that He calls to a task. It's not just our leaders that are anointed. Each one of you has an anointing that God has placed upon you to be able to reach people that Melissa or I may not ever reach. Who would have known that co-workers at the airport would hear through another co-worker about someone's faith in trusting God enough that they would respond in the way that they would? But when we look at this story here of Joshua, these five kings, they end up running off and hiding in a cave because they're seeing what Joshua's God has been doing. And that God says, okay, Joshua, now go get him. And better than any Hollywood-produced scene that, you know, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings guy, or George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Jerry Bruckheimer, any of them could ever produce, God brings this epic battle to an amazing conclusion. But like Paul Harvey says, you're going to have to get the rest of the story on your own time. Chapter 10, Joshua, go read it. It'll make your faith go even. It's so amazing. But then again, so is our God. Amen? I'm encouraged when other people share their answers to big prayers. I love testimony time. I'm sure you do too. When someone you've been praying for for years whose heart has been hardened to God and they suddenly turn their life over to Christ... When a family member, someone you deeply love is on the verge of death and you pray for healing and God heals them. When a friend has hit rock bottom, depression or suffering from an addiction and nothing has seemed to work and God steps in and they're set free. We have our own personal testimony of a, a real close friend of mine who was addicted to uh, meth for 35 years. Thought that God would never give him a chance because he'd made too many mistakes. Just last month, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior because people have been reaching out and praying. 
You see, I'm encouraged when others share their answers to big prayers. And you say, well, big prayers. I don't really have any big prayers answered in my life. I mean, none of these things. I'm still waiting on some of this. How about a little prayer? How about like, I've got this pain in my shoulder or in my arm, and all of a sudden it's gone. John Jersey. You know, this, this week down in Bowling Green, John got touched by the Lord and his arm, which he couldn't, couldn't do this. He got healed this week. And I love what John did when he was prompted by Pastor Corey Jones. He brought him up on stage. And John said, this is something I would never do. And as John began to pray, because Corey said, I want you to pray over this whole congregation here as we get ready to begin this service today. And John said something like this. He said, Lord, you know, I'm not that guy who stands up often in front of people and prays. It's usually just me and you. But here I am standing in front of everybody doing what I never thought I could do. He prayed in faith <laughs> from the heart. And he said, thank you for the healing touch. I just know if you can do it for me, you can do it for anybody. You see, those are the kind of prayers that God is waiting to answer. Not the ones that are so skillfully crafted and, Lord, thou knowest where... No. It's that time when it's just you and Him. <laughs> You're saying, Lord, I'm doing what I never thought I could do. And it's because of you. That's a prayer that God is just waiting to answer. So I'm going to ask you to do something crazy as we close here today. Maybe not so crazy. Y'all are living on the edge anyway. That's why you're here. I'm going to ask you to pray. You don't have to use a microphone. But I'm going to ask you to pray your impossible prayer to the Lord this morning. To the biggest one you've ever thought of that you were maybe too afraid to ask Him for. Maybe it's for your mom and daddy to, to come to know Him. Or for a lost child. Or maybe it's so that when we go out into our neighborhood, you just feel like you're just ready to talk to anybody because you have faith and courage that He's already said. He's taken the enemy out of your path. It's all Him and you, partnership together. Maybe you need a, a physical healing. Maybe you need something restored in your body. He can do it. Maybe you need a financial miracle. Maybe you need God to restore a relationship that's been broken for a long, long time. It's been like the elephant in the room that everybody sees but nobody wants to talk about. Or maybe, just maybe, you've been given a big task by a big God and you're scared to step into it. Maybe you've waited a long time and you feel like you've waited past that expiration date of when God was actually going to give you the dream that you've been asking, that He gave to you in the beginning. Joshua asked God to stop the sun in the sky. So let me ask you, is there anything that the Creator, not only of this universe, but of you and of me, whom He loves so much, could not do that lines up with His Word? Church, it's time to let God out of that tiny box that you've been keeping Him in. We need to pray prayers that we know He can't wait to answer. 
So go ahead, take a minute, and just ask Him for the impossible. And I'm not going to rule out that if somebody does want to share over the microphone for everybody else to know how they're praying, if you want to do that, you just raise your hand and I'll come to you. And that way, we can all be praying that impossible prayer together and agreeing with you. The sky is the limit. Ask Him that. Yeah. You know what Melissa just said? If you want, let's just all pray out loud at the same time if you feel comfortable with that. Sometimes in our own little spot, that just... Let's go ahead and stand if you're able. We're, we're ready to dismiss here in just a minute, but uh, just where you're at, let's just begin to thank Him, pray yeah. for that big prayer, ask Him for the moon right now. God, this morning we're, we're asking for the moon. We're not asking for things that we desire, but we're asking for your desire. What is on your heart that you desire to answer? That's what we're asking for today. Sure, we're asking for courage. We're asking for boldness. We're asking for opportunities. Lord, we're just so thankful that you've already committed to us to go and ahead to prepare the way ahead of us to remove any obstacles, to remove any opposition. And that even though it may appear that there are obstacles, Lord, we know that you are able to overcome all that. Lord, on this day, we promise, we vow not to be intimidated by fear, whether it comes from the enemy or the enemy using someone in our path or our family or whatever it might be to distract us away from your purpose, from being able to work with you. Lord, today we partner with you in all that you want to accomplish. And we say yes. We say yes. And we thank you for loving us so much that you would do even the biggest prayer that's been prayed in this room here today, whatever it may be, that you're ready, willing, and able to answer it. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.